In our Sunday morning services over the last year, I've been preaching through the Gospel of John, and so it is only fitting that on Good Friday we've come to John's accounts of the death and burial of Jesus. And so let us hear the Word of God tonight as we remember the death of Jesus. You may use your bulletins or use the Bibles in front of you, your own Bibles. We're going to begin in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, or actually the last couple words of verse 16 as they recounts for us the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. Let us hear the Word of God. So they took Jesus, and He went out, bearing His own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified Him, And with him, two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing, all, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to His mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head. And gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood 
and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks and makes yourself known. That you most amazingly made yourself known through your son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and lived among us. And who was the image of your glory, the perfect image of your glory. And especially on the cross. And we pray, O oh God, that you would reveal yourself to us tonight through your word that you have preserved throughout the ages, for it is your inspired word. May it go forth, even in spite of my own sins and weakness. May your word go forth in the power of the Spirit, for your word, O oh God, is powerful. And would you open our ears to hear and open our hearts and minds to receive your word, that you, O oh God, would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Looking at this passage tonight, I want us to see that John is very clearly telling us at least two things. First, he is telling us this, what happens here, is a real event that actually happened. And the second thing he tells us very clearly is that what happened here happened according to the plan of God. But he's also saying a third thing. A third thing that we can't see until we know the whole story. And that is that what happened according to God's plan happened for you. So the first thing I want us to see tonight is that John says this really happened. And it happened in this way. That John is not inventing this story. He is not exaggerating the events of Jesus' death. He is sharing his own personal memory of what happened on that Friday 2,000 years ago. The author of this gospel is John, one of the twelve disciples who, with great modesty, never refers to himself by name in this gospel. He always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not because Jesus didn't love the others, but he just shies away from the fame of his name and wants to simply be one of the disciples whom Jesus loves. And so he claims he was there that day. He tells us, my testimony is true. And he is telling us this story in a way that eyewitnesses would remember. 
Notice in this passage all of the little details that John includes that don't need to be there. We can just pop them all out. He tells us that Jesus bore his own crossbeam on part of the journey to Golgotha. He gives the name of the crucifixion site, even providing the Aramaic name Golgotha. You may know it better as the Latin name Calvary. John mentions that Jesus was not the only one crucified at that time, even though he doesn't tell us anything else about the other two people crucified with him. I guess they got their legs broke. He does tell them, tell us that. Nothing really else. He gives us detailed information about the inscription that Pilate put on the cross, noting it was in three different languages. He tells us about the squabble between the Jewish leaders and Pilate over the exact wording. And he mentions how the soldiers divided Jesus' clothes and cast lots for the seamless tunic. Like, these are interesting, but do they matter? Why include any of this stuff unless it happened? It doesn't advance the story. It doesn't tell us much of anything. John continues telling us all these details with the names of women who were by the cross, including this brief interaction between Jesus and his mother and John. But John doesn't linger on the heartbroken mother. Instead, he goes on to tell us about a full jar of sour wine. Not a jar of wine, a full jar of sour wine. And a hyssop branch, not a stick, a hyssop branch. Who needs these details? He tells us about Sabbath regulations, how Jesus died before the other criminals, how water and blood flowed forth when he was pierced by a spear. And John isn't even done yet. He tells us the names of two influential men who coordinated Jesus' burial, giving us a rough estimate of the weight of the spices that were used. Again, who cares that much about this stuff? Why tell us? He tells us the tomb was new and not yet occupied. He tells us it was near a garden. Great. Okay. Details, 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 details. Why? Notice that John includes zero artistic flourishes. Zero side comments about Jesus' suffering. No poetic descriptions of the blood dripping from Jesus. No recounting of the tears falling from Mary's face. No reflections on how dark the day felt or how all hope seemed lost. No musings about 10,000 angels crying or love holding him to the cross. All the stuff that would make a good sermon or choir anthem is missing. And instead, we hear about full jars of sour wine and seamless tunic. That's because Jesus, John wants to convey that this happened. He is focused far more on fact than feeling, and his eyewitness recollection is filled with all sorts of random details that are not entirely necessary, but the exact kind of thing that eyewitnesses remember. That if you think back to what you were doing last Easter, you may remember some very odd things, not the most important things. You may remember weird details because that's how eyewitnesses work. 
This factual reporting of Jesus' death does not mean God doesn't like poetry, that he doesn't like flowery language. We saw in Isaiah 53 the beauty of the language used. You can find it in the Psalms and the other prophets. But here, in John 19, more than anything, John wants to convey that this happened. And it happened like this. And it matters that it is more than a fable. It matters that it is history. But John also wants us to know that it was not some twist of history. Not some cruel tragedy that should have been avoided. Because the second thing John clearly tells us is that all of this happened according to God's plan. Throughout our study of the Gospel of John, we have seen how Jesus knew that this was coming. He knew that obeying his father's plan would lead to his own death. And as horrible as his death was, it was part of God's plan. John shows us this repeatedly by mentioning how certain seemingly random events around his death actually fulfill Old Testament scriptures. John points us to the soldiers dividing Jesus' garments and casting lots, showing that's a fulfillment of Psalm 22. That the words of King David were written figuratively. He felt like a man who had lost everything to his enemies. And yet they're fulfilled literally in Jesus. Later in verse 28, John tells us that by Jesus saying, I thirst, that fulfills the scripture. He doesn't quote it for us, but it's Psalm 69, 21, which says, For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Even that minor gesture of sour wine is a fulfillment of God's plan. Two other scriptures are mentioned in verses 36 and 37. The one about his bones not being broken connects Jesus' death to the Passover lamb. That you were supposed to kill the Passover lamb without breaking its bones. And so Jesus shows he is the greater Passover lamb. Offered up for the sins of God's people with not a bone broken. The next scripture is from Zechariah 12.10 about the one who is pierced, that Jesus is pierced by a spear to fulfill Old Testament prophecy that the one who is pierced would be the hope of salvation for God's people. Now John is not just a nerd who is super happy that he found all of these cool connections all by himself. Rather, he is sharing what God has divinely revealed to him about his own sovereign plan to bring all things into alignment that the Scriptures would be fulfilled by Jesus dying on the cross. That everything was orchestrated so that Scripture might be fulfilled and we would know that God was behind this tragic event. That it really happened and God wanted it to happen this way. God, that sounds like a really awful thing. And so it makes you ask, what was God up to? I mean, what good plan could God possibly have to include such terrible suffering? Why would Jesus submit to God the Father and go through such horrific torture? Why does he endure such suffering and shame when he had done nothing wrong? And all of Scripture tells us the answer. Because Jesus was doing all of this for you. That's why. Jesus was doing all of this for you. 
And God brought everything together for you. It was the culmination of God's plan to save you. And that is the third and by far the most important thing to see in this passage. That yes, this death really happened like this. And it was really part of God's plan. But that plan was to save you through what happened. See, when we read this passage, we are likely saddened by the experience that Jesus went through. But the distress that we feel over His suffering must be overcome by joyful gratitude of knowing that Jesus went through all of this for us. We should hear about all that Jesus endured and view it like we're on one of those home makeover shows where the families come in to their newly renovated home and they just, they just marvel at what all these people had just done for them. In so much of a greater way, you should come to the cross and marvel at what God did for you through Jesus. Let's marvel together tonight. You see, by hanging on the cross outside the city, Jesus was cursed for you so that you might be blessed by God in Him. Jesus had His sentence written on His cross. He was sentenced as a rebel traitor for you so that a sinful rebel like you might be redeemed and reconciled to God. Jesus was stripped bare of His clothing for you so that you might be clothed in His perfect righteousness. Jesus was torn away from His mother, His family, and His friends for you so that you might be welcomed into the fellowship of the church family. Jesus thirsted in His torment for you so that you might be fully satisfied in His abundant grace given in the Spirit. Jesus finished the righteous requirements of the law for you, saying it is finished, it is accomplished, it is done, so that you might be accepted on the basis of His finished work. Jesus, it doesn't say He died, it says He gave up His life on the cross. It was in His power. He gave up His life for you so that He could give you Eternal life. Jesus died before sundown so that He could rest on the Sabbath day for you so that you might find your rest in Him forever. Jesus died before His bones could be broken for you so that He could be your Passover lamb who is substituted in your place so that you don't have to suffer for your sins. Jesus was pierced in His side for you so that you can go to Him like a fountain for cleansing, being washed in His blood and His cleansing water. And Jesus was buried in a tomb for you so that one day you might enter the grave without fear. You might feel like you don't deserve that. And that's true, you don't. But Jesus still did it for you. Because He loves you. You may feel like, I need to earn this. But you don't. You can't earn it. You can only receive it as a gift. 
Like people receiving a home makeover, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to repay such an extravagant gift. As we'll sing shortly, were the whole realm of nature mine, it would be a present far too small. The only way to say thank you for such a gift is by gladly receiving that gift in love and letting that amazing love so fill you that you want to spend your life loving Jesus in return. And so as you remember the horrors of the cross, do not forget their purpose. Do not forget that though many intended these things for evil, God used them for good. In fact, He used them for your good. Because Jesus died for you. Let us glory in the cross, for in it we see the love of Jesus for us. Let us pray. Oh God, would you help us to marvel before the cross? Would you help it to sink in that Jesus did this for us? That he was there in our place and not begrudgingly. He was there in our place willingly. Willing to go to the very end to show just how much God loves us. Just how much He would endure to keep loving us. Just what He would endure to be with us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive that amazing gift of love. What Christ has done on the cross for us. That we would receive it with joy and gladness that we would be saved and delight in Jesus, and that we would go forth and live knowing Jesus died for each and every one of us. It's in His name we pray. Amen.